Section two of A Life's Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingling. A Life's Morning by George Gissing. Section two. Chapter one. Part two. His spirits, which at first seemed to suffer some depression, took vigour once more from the air of the downs. He put Oberon at a leap or two, then let the breeze sing in his ears as he was borne at a gallop over the summer land, golden with sunlight. In spite of his still-worn look, health was manifest in the upright vigour of his form, and in his eyes gleamed the untroubled joy of existence. Hope just now was strong within him, a hope defined and pointing to an end attainable he knew that henceforth the many bounding and voiceful streams of his life would unite in one strong flow onward to a region of orient glory which shone before him as the born hitherto but dimly imagined on oberon on no speed that would not lag behind the fourth flight of a heart's desire let the stretch of green shadowing woodland sweep by like a dream. Let the fair sweet meadow sides smile for a moment and vanish. Let the dark hill summits rise and sink. It is the time of youth and hope, of boundless faith in the world's promises, of breathless pursuit. Hillstead was gained long before lunch could be thought of. Wilfred rode on and circled back toward the hostelry famous for chops about the hour of noon. He put up his horse and strayed about the village till his meal was ready. After he had eaten it, he smoked a cigar among hollyhocks and sunflowers. Then impatience possessed him. He looked at his watch several times, annoyed to find that so little of the day was spent. When he at last set forth again, it was to ride at walking pace in the direction of home. He reached a junction of roads and waited there for several minutes, unable to decide upon his course. He ended by throwing the reins on Oberon's neck. Go which way you will, he said aloud. Oberon paced forward to the homeward route. So be it. On, then. An hour will bring us to the first. The house was all but reached when Wilfred caught a glimpse of a straw hat moving into a heath-clad hollow a hundred yards from the road. He pressed on. At the gate stood a gardener. James, he cried, leaping down. Take the horse to the stable, will you? And, instead of going up to the house, he walked back in the direction he had come till he reached the hollow in which the straw hat had disappeared. Miss Hood sat on the ground, reading. She was about to rise, but Wilfred begged her not to move, and threw himself into a reclining posture. "'I saw you as I rode past,' he said, in a friendly way. "'I suppose the twins are straying?' "'They are at Greenhaw's was the reply. Mrs. Winter called for them immediately after lunch. She will bring them back early in the evening. Ah! He plucked sprigs of heather. Miss Hood turned to her book. I've had a magnificent ride, Wilfred began again. 
surely there is no country in england so glorious as this don't you enjoy it very much i have never seen the yorkshire moors the scenery of course is of a much wilder kind i have not seen them myself said the governess i thought you might have taken your holidays sometimes in that direction no we used to go to a seaside place in lincolnshire called cleethropes i suppose you never heard of it i think not wilfred continued to pluck heather and let his eyes catch a glimpse of her face now and then miss hood was a year younger than himself and had well outgrown girlishness she was of very slight build looked indeed rather frail but her face though lacking colour had the firmness of health it was very broad at the forehead and tapered down into narrowness the eyes seemed set at an unusual distance from each other though the nose was thin and of perfect form its profile making but a slight angle away from the line of the brows her lips were large but finely curved the chin was prominent the throat long she had warm brown hair few would at first sight have called her face beautiful but none could deny the beauty of her hands ungloved at present they lay on the open pages of the book unsurpassable for delicate loveliness when he did not venture to look higher wilfred let his eyes feed on the turn of the wrist the faint blue lines and sinuous muscles the penciling about the finger joints the delicate white and pink nails miss hood was habitually silent when in the company of others than the children when she replied to a question it was without timidity but in few well-chosen words yet her manner did not lack cheerfulness she impressed no one as being unhappy and alone with the twins she was often gay enough she was self-possessed and had the manners of a lady though in her position this was rather to be observed in what she refrained from doing than in what she did wilfred had on first meeting her remarked to himself that it must imply a certain force of individuality to vary so distinctly from the commonplace even under the disadvantage of complete self-suppression he had now come to understand better the way in which that individuality betrayed itself shall you go to cleethropes this year was his next question i think not i shall most likely pass the holidays at home and study electricity in the former conversation she had surprised him by some unexpected knowledge of the principles of electricity and explained the acquirement by telling him that this subject was her father's favorite study wilfred put the question now with a smile yes very likely she replied smiling also but faintly it gives my father pleasure when i do so you have not a keen interest in the subject yourself i try to have her voice was of singular quality if she raised it the effect was not agreeable owing possibly to its lack of strength but in low tones such as she employed at present it fell on the ear with a peculiar sweetness 
a natural melody in its modulation the way in which you speak of your father interests me said wilfred leaning his chin upon his hand and gazing at her freely you seem so united with him in sympathy she did not turn her eyes to him but her face gathered brightness in sympathy yes she replied speaking now with more readiness our tastes often differ but we are always at one in feeling we have been companions ever since i can remember is your mother living yes something in the tone of the brief affirmative kept wilfred from further questioning i wonder he said what you think of the relations existing between myself and my father we are excellent friends don't you think strange one doesn't think much about such things until some occasion brings them forward whether there is deep sympathy between us i couldn't say certainly there are many subjects on which i should not dream of speaking to him unless necessity arose partly i suppose that is male reserve and partly english reserve if novels are to be trusted french parents and children speak together with much more freedom on the whole that must be better she made no remark my father he continued is eminently a man of sense if i reflect on my boyhood i see how admirable his treatment of me has always been i fancy i must have been at one time rather hard to manage i know i was very passionate and stubbornly self-willed yet he neither let me have my own way nor angered me by his opposition in fact he made me respect him now that we stand on equal terms i dare say he has something of the same feeling towards myself and so it comes that we are excellent friends she listened with a scarcely perceptible smile perhaps this seems to you a curiously dispassionate way of treating such a subject wilfred added with a laugh it illustrates what i meant in saying i doubted whether there was deep sympathy between us your own feeling for your father is clearly one of devotedness you would think no sacrifice of your own wishes too great if he asked it of you i cannot imagine any sacrifice which my father could ask that i should refuse she spoke with some difficulty as if she wished to escape the subject perhaps that is a virtue that your sex helps to explain said wilfred musingly you do not know he added when a bee had hummed between them for half a minute how constant my regret is that my mother did not live till i was old enough to make a friend of her you know that she was an italian there was a sympathy taken out of my life i believe i have more of the italian nature than the english and i know my mother's presence would be priceless to me now that i could talk with her what unsatisfactory creatures we are as children so imperfect so deficient it is worse with boys than with girls compare for instance the twin with boys often what coarse awkward unruly lumps of boisterousness youngsters mostly are at that age i dislike boys and more than ever when i remember myself at that stage what an insensible ungrateful brainless and heartless brat i was 
you must be wrong in one respect she returned watching a large butterfly you could not have been brainless oh the foundation of tolerable wits was there no doubt but it is just that undeveloped state that irritates me suppose i were now ten years old and that glorious butterfly before me shall i not leap at it and stick a pen through it young savage precisely what a hottentot boy would do except that he would be free from the apish folly of pretending a scientific interest not really existing i rejoice to have lived out of my boyhood i would not go through it again for anything short of a thousand years of subsequent maturity she just glanced at him a light of laughter in her eyes she was abandoning herself to the pleasure of hearing him speak that picture of my mother he pursued dropping his voice again does not do her justice even at twelve years old she died when i was twelve i could not help seeing and knowing how beautiful she was i have thought of her of late more than i ever did sometimes i suffer a passion of grief that one so beautiful and lovable has gone and left a mere dumb picture i suppose even my memory of her will grow fainter and fainter founded as it is on imperfect understanding dim appreciation she used to read italian to me first the italian then the english and i thought it as often as not a bore to have to listen to her thank heaven i have the book she used and can now go over the pieces and try to recall her voice the butterfly was gone but the bee still hummed about them the hot afternoon air was unstirred by any breeze how glad i am wilfred exclaimed when he had brooded for a few moments that i happened to see you as i rode past i should have wandered restlessly about the house in vain seeking for some one to talk to and you listen so patiently it is pleasant to be here and talk so freely of things i have always had to keep in my own mind look do look at that bastion of cloud over the sycamore what glorious gradation of tints what a snowy crown that is a pretty spray he added holding to her one that he had plucked she looked at it then as he still held it out took it from him the exquisite fingers touched his own rather and coarser ones have you friends in dunfield he asked friends any real friend i mean any girl who gives you real companionship scarcely that how shall you spend your time when you are not deep in electrics what do you mean to read these holidays chiefly german i think i have only just begun to read it and i can't read it at all now and then i make a shot at the meaning of a note in a german edition of some classical author every time fretting at my ignorance but there is so endlessly much to do and the day is so short isn't it hateful he broke forth this enforced idleness of mine to think that weeks and weeks go by and i remain just where i was when the loss of an hour used to seem to me an irreparable misfortune i have such an appetite for knowledge 
surely the unhappiest gift a man can be endowed with it leads to nothing but frustration perhaps the appetite weakens as one grows in years perhaps the sphere of one's keener interests contracts i hope it may be so at times i cannot work i mean i could not for a sense of the vastness of the field before me i should like you to see my rooms at balliol shelves have long since refused to take another volume floor tables chairs every spot is heaped and there they lie hosts i have scarcely looked into many i shall never have time to take up to the end of my days you have the satisfaction of being able to give your whole time to study there is precisely the source of dissatisfaction my whole time and that wholly insufficient i have a friend a man i envy intensely he has taken up the subject of celtic literature gives himself to it with single-heartedness cares for nothing that does not connect itself therewith will pursue it throughout his life will know more of it than any man living my despair is the universality of my interests i can think of no branch of study to which i could not surrender myself with enthusiasm of course i shall never master one my subject is the history of humanity i would know everything that man has done or thought or felt i cannot separate lines of study philology is a passion with me but how shall i part the history of speech from the history of thought the etymology of any single word will hold me for hours to follow it up i must traverse centuries of human culture they tell me i have a faculty for philosophy in the narrow sense of the word alas that narrow sense implies an exhaustive knowledge of speculation in the past and of every result of science born in our own time think of the sunny spaces in the world's history in each of which one could linger for ever i athens at her fairest born at her grandest the glorious savagery of merovingian courts the kingdom of frederick the second the moors in spain the magic of renaissance italy to become a citizen of any one age means a lifetime of endeavour it is easy to fill one's heads with names and ears but that only sharpens my hunger then there is the world of art i would know every subtlest melody of verse in every tongue enjoy with perfectly instructed taste every form that man has carved or painted i fear to enter museums and galleries i am distracted by the numberless desires that seize upon me depressed by the hopelessness of satisfying them i cannot even enjoy music from the mere feeling that i do not enjoy it enough that i have not had time to study it that i shall never get at its secret and when is one to live i cannot lose myself in other men's activity and enjoyments i must have a life of my own outside the walls of a library it would be easy to give up all ambition of knowledge to forget all the joy and sorrow that has been and pass into nothingness to know only the eternity of a present hour 
might one not learn more in one instant of unreflecting happiness than by toiling on to a mummied age only to know in the end the despair of never having lived he again raised his eyes to her face it was fixed in a cold absent gaze her lips hardened into severity the pose of her head impressive noble ethel regarded her for several moments she was revealing to him more of her inner self than he had yet divined what are your thoughts he asked quietly she smiled recovering her wonted passiveness have you not often much the same troubles they arc only for the mind which is strong enough to meet and overcome them she replied but look my mind has given way already i am imbecile forever i shall be on the point of a breakdown and each successive one will bring me nearer to some final catastrophe perhaps the lunatic asylum who knows i should think she said gravely that you suggested the truth very likely your mind will contract its range and cease to aim at the impossible but tell me have you not yourself already attained that wisdom why should you make pretenses of feebleness which does not mark you you have a mind as active as my own i know that perfectly well what is your secret of contentment won't you help me in this miserable plight no mr athel i have none but very ordinary powers of mind and perhaps it is my recognition of that which keeps me contented there is indeed one principle of guidance which i have worked out for myself ah and that it will not enlighten you for it is only the choice of a natural and easy course seeing that difficult ones are closed the literature of learning is out of my reach so i limit myself to the literature of beauty and in this i try to keep to the best you are right you are right to know the masterpieces of literature pure literature poetry in its widest sense that is the wise choice think we feed ourselves with the second-hand wisdom of paltry philosophizers and critics and shakespeare waits outside the door with the bread of life from homer alas you do not read greek she shook her head and you work at german in heaven's name change your language forthwith why should you not know greek you must know greek i will give you books i will advise you show you the essentials to begin with there are still a few days before you go into yorkshire you can work during the holidays on lines i shall set you you can write and tell me your he paused for her face had lost its smile and wore again that coldly respectful look which she seldom put off save in her privacy with the children for the last quarter of an hour he had marked in her quite another aspect the secret meanings of her face had half uttered themselves in eye and lip his last words seemed to recall her to the world of fact she made a slight movement and closed the book on her lap greek is more than i can undertake mr athel she said in a quietly decided tone i must be content with translations translations you would not say that so calmly if you knew what you were renouncing everything 
everything in literature i would give up to save my greek you will learn it i know you will some day i shall hear you read the hexameters as beautifully as you read english poetry to the girls will you not begin if i beg you to the elbow on which he rested moved a few inches nearer to her he saw the pearly shadows waver upon her throat and her lips tremble into rigidity my time in the holidays will be very limited she said i have undertaken to give some help to a friend who is preparing to become a teacher and she tried to smile i don't think i must do more work whilst at home than is really necessary no that is true wilfred assented unwillingly never mind there's plenty of time greek will be overcome you will see when we are all back in town and the days are dull then i shall succeed in persuading you she looked about her as if with thought of quitting her place her companion was drawn into himself he stroked mechanically with his fingertips the fronds of bracken near him i suppose i shall go up again in october he began i wish there were no necessity for it but surely it is your one desire the other replied in genuine surprise not to return to oxford a few months ago it would have been but this crisis in my life has changed me i don't think i shall adapt myself again to those conditions i want to work in a freer way i had a positive zeal even for examinations now that seems tame well boyish i believe i have outgrown that stage i feel a reluctance to go back to school i suppose i must take my degree and so on but it will all be against the grain your feeling will most likely alter when you have thoroughly recovered your health no i don't think it will practically my health is all right you don't he added with a smile regard me as an irresponsible person whose feeble remarks are to be received with kind allowance no i did not mean that he gazed at her and his face showed a growing trouble you do not take too seriously what i said just now about the weakness of my mind it would be horrible if you thought i had worked myself into a state of amiable imbecility and was incapable henceforth of acting thinking or speaking with a sound intellect tell me say in plain words that is not your way of interpreting me he had become very much in earnest raising himself to a position in which he rested on one hand lie looked straight into her face why don't you reply why don't you speak because mr athel it is surely needless to say that i have no such thought no it is not needless and even now you speak in a way which troubles me do not look away from me what has my aunt told you about me she turned her face to him her self-command was so complete that not a throb of her leaping heart betrayed itself in vein or muscle she even met his eyes with a placid gaze which he felt as a new aspect of her countenance mrs russell has never spoken to me of your health she said but my father's jokes he has a way of humorous exaggeration you of course understand that you don't take seriously all he says i think i can distinguish between jest and earnest 
for all that you speak of the recovery of my health as if i were still far from the wholly rational standpoint so far from my being mentally unsound this rest has been a growing time with me before i did nothing but heap my memory with knowledge of books now i have had leisure to gather knowledge of a deeper kind i was a one-sided academical monster it needed this new sense to make me human the old college life is no longer my ideal i doubt if it will be possible at any rate i shall hurry over the rest of my course as speedily as may be that i may begin really to live you must credit what i am saying i want you to give me distinct assurance that you do so if i have the least doubt it will trouble my mind in earnest miss hood rose to her feet in that graceful effortless way of which girls have the secret you attribute a meaning to my words that i never thought of she said again in the distant respectful manner wilfred also rose and you give me credit for understanding myself for being as much master of my mind as i am of my actions surely i do mr athel you are going to the house it is nearly five o'clock your conscience tells you that a civilized being must drink tea i think i shall walk over to greenhaws i may as well save mrs winter the trouble of bringing back the children he hesitated before moving away how little that cloud has changed its form i should like to stay here and watch it till sunset in a week i suppose i shall be looking at some such cloud over mont blanc and you in dunfield no there we have only mill smoke she smiled and passed from the hollow to the road end of section two recording by shi ping ling